Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden. Hey everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for the 85th, count them 85, Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Uh, those of you who have video can see me uh, with the uh, voters in Florida in the background here. We uh, are uh, also going to be broadcasting, podcasting on the uh, Progressive Radio Network uh, starting at 5 p.m. on Thursday. And we are uh, uh, glad to have all of you with us. Uh, in our chat room, we have, uh, uh, what do we got here? About 75 people, I believe. And it's a, a joy and an honor to join everyone. We have a, a very packed meeting as always today. I do want to announce before I lose track that on Sunday, March 27th, we will convene the first Southern California uh, uh, Grassroots Congress in Santa Monica. Uh, we are going to be joined uh, with music by the incredible violinist uh, Lily Hayden, uh, uh, Keaton Simon, a wonderful singer, and uh, speeches and, and roundtable from Mimi Kennedy, Eric Roberts, Sarah Nelson, Danny Sheehan, Christian Nunez, and many, many more. Uh, that is Sunday, March 27th in Santa Monica. Contact me directly or Eileen Proctor. Uh, at, we have posted the a flyer here, Eileen, is at EileenPR at sbcglobal.net or go to the uh, GREEP uh, website, our Grassroots Emergency uh, Election Protection website. Uh, that's Sunday, March 27th in Santa Monica from 1 to 5 p.m. We're going to try and live stream it. It's going to be a major event. Uh, and everybody, of course, is welcome. We'd be honored to have you with us. Uh, we have, we're going to start today with Nicole Dvorak, who's going to talk to us about her uh, amazing work on um, tracking the uh, finances of, of elections. Uh, then uh, Nancy McLean, uh, who's going to be a, a major, major author, professor uh, from Duke University, who's going to talk to us about election protection overall. Uh, we're going to get in the second hour uh, deep into the uh, uh, rabbit hole of Ohio elections, which are uh, the redistricting issue there, which is uh, completely beyond the pale um, and, and much, much more to cover. I do want to mention that, uh, as we all know, the war in, Iraq, in Ukraine, <laughs> notice I said the war in Iraq, the war in Ukraine continues and the, the danger to the nuclear power plants, the 15 there is, continues to be astounding. Uh, I've been uh, doing media on this and uh, the, the world seems to not understand that there are 15 atomic reactors uh, in um, uh, Ukraine, plus the four dead ones at uh, Chernobyl, uh, that uh, uh, the, the situation there uh, is just beyond um, terrifying. Let's put it that way. Terrifying is an understatement and horrifying as well in the, the daily human terms that we're witnessing. Those of us who thought we could not see another war in Europe, here we are, you have to wonder, that really makes you want to question the theory of evolution. Um, so uh, uh, we are going to jump right in with Nicole Dvorak uh, and her magnificent work. I do want to also point out that there are some very interesting lawsuits going on uh, against insurrectionists uh, who are running for office and even holding office. And um, uh, that, that's a really interesting topic that we'll get to in the second hour. And we also, uh, Danette has told us she's going to be going to D.C. to march for the, uh, uh, the, the new uh, Supreme Court nominee. I will say that the news just broke that Joe Manchin has killed a, um, uh, <clears throat> a, a progressive uh, nomination from uh, the Biden administration. Uh, I believe it's for the uh, SEC and, um, uh, or one of the other financial institutions. This is a bad sign. That, that this Democrat is, or so-called Democrat is going to step forward and kill a nomination like that. Sarah Bloom Raskin's nomination uh, to the Fed. Thank you, Justin, uh, for that. So this is a big deal and uh, also terrifying piece of work. I do, I cannot mention uh, Joe Manchin and the stalemate uh, uh, with the 50-50 split 
uh, among the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate without emphasizing that this would not be happening if Clinton or Obama had pursued DC statehood. Um, you know, uh, the, it would be 52-50. Uh, we, we wouldn't have a world being run by uh, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin if uh, uh, Clinton or Obama had done what they should have done and, and made sure that DC uh, had become a state. I uh, just want to throw that in. We've been discussing DC statehood a lot. It's a major issue for election protection and should not be swept under the rug. Okay, uh, honored to have Danny Goldberg with us. Uh, he's been a presenter before. Danny, if you're flying out to California on March 27th, we'd love to have you in Santa Monica. Um, uh, anyone else, especially uh, on the solar issue, Ron Leonard, love to have you. If you wanna hop on Southwest, I can pick you up at the uh, Burbank Airport. Uh, meantime, Nicole Dvorak, um, uh, you have done tremendous work on looking into uh, campaign finances, tracking the money, as they say, follow the money, as they said during Watergate. Um, uh, what, what, water, what, what money have you been following? So great question. And thank you so much for having me. I could talk about this stuff all day. So please feel free to interrupt me at any point with any other questions. But um, I would have to say on a local level, uh, and at a statewide level, uh, very interested to see where the big money comes from, the biggest contributors. Um, on the local level, and I would say in a lot of the state of Maryland and elsewhere, uh, I'm looking for uh, donations by the land developer lobby uh, and all the ways that they're trying to get money to elected officials, campaigns, in-kind contributions, the stuff that's not listed on paper, like hey, candidate for elected office, would you like me to hold a fundraiser for you in my property? And, you know, commercial, whatever property, and how much is that worth, you know? Um, so that's, I, I could look at that all day, you know, from LLCs that have mysterious names, from just the name of, we have a donor who just uses the name of a city. It's called Columbia and they have the same address as the Howard Hughes Corporation has had um, <laughs> and, and has donated, they've donated tens of thousands of dollars. And, uh, and also, you know, who are the lobbyists, the registered lobbyists for these organizations and how much money they've donated and what that looks like cumulatively. So all the ways that money gets to our elected officials um, and that includes, of course, our Democratic electeds who hold a supermajority in the Maryland state legislature. So uh, how do you uh, ma manifest this research? Do you publish a newsletter? Where, hmm. where, where can we track what you find? Forthcoming website, but currently on social media, mostly Twitter, also Facebook, but mostly Twitter. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at what is public information, but not a lot of people are looking at, you know, there's a, there's a state website dedicated to campaign finance reports. That's where elected officials have to file them. And you can go there and you can look for that money, but they're even, even on from, you know, well-established local journalists who to be fair, are likely extremely overwhelmed all of the time. Um, I don't see in a lot of that either. And I definitely wanted to I guess, assist in that capacity, you know, where we see the reporting on a somewhat regular basis of, okay, how much cash on hand does someone have? And we see that show up in the news. Okay. But what, where did that, what is that cash? What does that cash represent? So uh, I love, I love finding what that is and daylighting it because it has to happen. Okay. So can you publish, put in the chat, please, your contacts, so that people can segue with your work. I mean, sure. it's incredibly important work. And, um, you know, the, uh, I remember a, a, a very uh, um, vehement uh, uh, opinion written by a Supreme Court justice. Well, I won't use the word justice to describe him, Clarence Thomas, uh, uh, claiming that um, donations should not be made public, that people should not know where money is coming from because it, intrudes on the privacy uh, of the donors who are buying our elections. So if you are systematically tracking where this money is coming from, we, we, we really need to have access to your work. Uh, so please 
uh, put it in the chat uh, and um, how people can get a hold of you and how they can um, coordinate with your with what you're finding because it's really at the core of our system. Does anyone have anything they want to ask of Nicole? Uh, 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 please raise your hand here if I'm missing anybody. Um, uh, uh, Jeffrey, very quickly, please. Um, go ahead. So Nicole, so Nicole, are you an expert at track tracking the money? Well, I would like I would like to think I am a kind of expert at tracking the money. I'm becoming more of an expert by the day as I sift through these campaign finance reports because it's time consuming. And I think that some elected officials thrive on the fact that it's it's you've got to spend time figuring out who, what a particular LLC is like, okay, you, you have a name associated with a $6,000 donation, but who is that? What does that mean? Um, so I definitely would like to consider myself an expert and becoming more knowledgeable all the time. Our other, the, the other uh, Nancy McLean, who hopefully will be on this call soon is I'm sure by far and away more of an expert than I am, but uh, I, I certainly uh, love tracking it and uh, daylighting it for the sake of um, everyone, really. Well, listen, anybody oh, who's willing to do that kind of, dr uh, of grunt work is an expert. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure there are people around the country who would love to network with you. So if you will come back next week and uh, give us a, a fuller sort of um, a re resume and, and portfolio of how people who are interested in doing this kind of work can uh, coordinate with you, we could build an organization here that focuses on this because that's incredibly important, yeah. okay? Yeah, and very few people are willing to develop the expertise, which you have obviously done here to do this work. So what I'd like, if, we, if you can come back next week and give us a small tutorial on how to okay. do it and how we can seg uh, coordinate with you, okay? Okay, great. Then that, yeah. that'd be great. Okay, Justin. Uh, thank, yes, please do. Thank you, Jeffrey. Good question. Uh, Justin and then uh, Ruth and then Wesley. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, so uh, point one, this sort of information is critical uh, in a lot of different areas. Uh, exposure of Amazon for its tax evasion uh, or avoidance. Uh, uh, exposure of the American Medical Association for being more interested in uh, the profits of itself and its hospitals as a hedge fund than it really is as a medical service. All these sorts of things come from these financial disclosures. So uh, my question for Nicole is, how come Open Secrets hasn't hired you yet? <laughs> I, I, they, they, they might not know I exist. I mean, they, they're busy. They got a lot of work, right? They, they can't keep track of everybody. They're doing they're doing a tremendous amount of work and, uh, you know, they know a lot of things. So I probably just haven't gone like, hey, hey it's me. It's, it, you know, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. I got right. it. But right. uh, we definitely need more helpers like yourself. And, and thank you, for Harvey, for uh, offering uh, up her to train us. Okay. Yes. I've offered your services, Nicole. I hope you don't mind. Oh, um, yeah. um, uh, Ruth Strauss. Ruth, you had a hand up? Are you here? I still? did, but then I took it down because Justin put it in the chat. Uh, this is, you know, uh, an aside. Uh, Sarah Bloom Raskin, the nominee for the uh, Fed that Manchin is tanking. Yeah. She's the wife of Jamie Raskin. Uh, and so yeah. that means Manchin is a closet Trumpite because, you know, Raskin headed up the impeachment uh, committee and blah, blah, blah. And Justin yes. has points in the chat, too. That's just an aside. Thank you. That's a, it's not a good sign that uh, Manchin would go at uh, a, a fellow Democrat who's in the U.S. Congress and who's a major a major player. That's not cool. This guy is probably winding up. When somebody finally offers him a billion dollars, he'll probably jump and become a Republican. Uh, that's my guess. Um, uh, Tataka and then Lynn. Thank you, Ruth. Tataka and, and then Lynn. Uh, Nancy McQueen, welcome. Uh, we're gonna. We're just gonna uh, uh, do these questions, and we'll, and then the, the floor will be yours. Um, uh, to talk, if you want to wait, uh, we'll get Lynn, and then uh, uh, someone else had a hand. Lynn Feinerman, go ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, I just wanted to mention to Nicole that um, Jenny Cohn, 
who has been working a lot on election machinery and who owes it and uh, what their um, uh, uh, contributions are. And uh, just in case you don't know, Jenny, excuse me. Something's, something's breaking in here. Uh, just in case you don't know, Jenny, I just want to make an online introduction and I would be happy to, um, if you leave me your email, um, I'll put. Okay. I don't know what that sound was coming from or where it was coming from, but uh, you made a connection, Nicole, with Lynn Feinerman there? Yes, that sounds great. Thank you so much, Lynn. Yeah, Lynn, Lynn is a great activist. She has a radio show and you guys need to connect. Tonka will be with you in a minute. And then we'll go to Nancy. Uh, Leslie Roberts had a hand up. Leslie? Um, I was at first, I was going to ask about open secrets if, if there was a relationship. But um, have anybody, has anybody heard about um, House Joint Resolution number 48, which besides re, um, reversing the Citizens United decision? It goes to it goes a little deeper. It says it says that um, artificial entities like corporations are not persons, and only natural persons um, can have inalienable rights, and that corporations should um, can be uh, regulated by all levels of government. And money is not speech, and money and the wealthy shall not have an um, more influence than anybody else over elections. So that's HJ resolution 48. We've got, wow, we 80, I think we have 89 co-sponsors right now. Wow. Well, of course, the, the great line about corporate personhood is that we'll believe corporations are people when Texas executes one. So uh, th th that's really where it's at. Thank you. We're going to take two more questions. Then we'll go to Tatanka who will introduce Nancy, uh, who will have the floor. Okay, um, uh, 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 Danette and then William Fleming, and then we'll go to Tatanka, please. Oh, Harvey, just uh, really quick for later on, I noticed someone put in the chat about the solar tax, rooftop solar tax in Florida, uh, DeSantis's uh, bill. I have an update for California too, when you get okay. to that. Thank yes, you. please. And we have Wendy Lederman on, hi Wendy, who's in Florida, so we can, we can discuss that. Um, um, uh, William? And then um, uh, who was the other person who uh, I called in? William Fleming, go, oh, Danette. William and then Danette, please. And then we'll go to Tatanka. Go ahead. Nicole, in Virginia, they have something, or we have something called BPAP.org, which tracks a lot of higher level uh, donations. Uh, you can actually search it. I found that <clears throat> Ralph Northam, our Democratic governor, had donated $5,000 to a Republican who was running against a sheriff in Virginia Beach uh, back in the day. Uh, <clears throat> do you have any tips on how to search out money to the school board level? Um, that's well, what, that's what, school, school board has a national effort to, or they have a, a national effort to turn over school boards, but uh, they don't, VPAB doesn't track that money. And I'm not sure how one could actually find that out. Well, let's go deeper into this next week. And um, um, if you guys can can coordinate, that would be great. You, do, do you have a real quick answer for that, Nicole? I mean, I think the quick answer is it's a great question. Okay. And uh, that I say you can always ask your candidates to publish their reports. If there's nothing to find, then they shouldn't have a problem with it, should they? No, they shouldn't. Very, very good, William. Thank you. If you and Nicole can coordinate and we'll take this up again next week, that would be great. Um, uh, Danette, and then we're going to go to Tonka, who will introduce Nancy. Oh, I already asked my question. You're going to put me in when you cover the solar stuff. Okay, great. Um, okay. Uh, uh, and Wendy, you have a hand. Is it real quick or can we come to it later? It's up to you, Nancy. Well, it's okay. I'll come back to it later. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you, Wendy. Okay, Tonka Bricka. We, uh, we have you to introduce the great Nancy McLean. We're honored to have her with us, and as well as you. Um, you uh, uh, introduced her to us uh, through her wonderful book. So uh, the stage is yours. Okay. It is such a pleasure, uh, Professor 
Nancy McLean, can you put her up on the screen? Um, Nancy, the author of Democracy in Chains, The Deep History of the Radical Right Stealth Plan for America. It is such a pleasure to introduce you. I mentioned uh, to Mike Hirsch that we should have you on and he got right on it. So it's uh, thank you, Mike, for your work. Uh, Democracy in Chains came out in the fall of, came out in the summer of 2017. And I saw it in the fall and it was such a revelation, a story of how you stumbled upon one of the chief protagonists, you know, James Buchanan in this book, felt to me like I was stumbling across with you and you connected a lot of dots for me in the way that some classic books like Naomi Klein's Chalk Doctrine and a, a number of them that just connect the dots that are right there in front of my face, but uh, you, you do it so well. Can you take us through that journey of yours as a way of introducing yourself to our audience and the trajectory of your amazing book? Oh, thank you. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Um, and I appreciate the nice shout outs in the chat too. Really, really nice to hear from people. Um, so yeah, I didn't set out uh, to write a book about Charles Koch and the way that the, the Koch donor network is working to uh, shackle democracy in a highly strategic uh, integrated strategy. I was actually uh, pursuing a study of school closures in Virginia in the period of massive resistance to Brown versus Board of Education. And, and particularly uh, the story of uh, Prince Edward County, Virginia, where white school uh, officials had shut, completely shut down the public school system from 1959 to 1964 to punish black students for having gone on a 100% solid student strike that was one of the cases folded into the Brown versus Board of Education decision. So this was privatization of schools uh, before we had the term privatization. And, uh, and what I learned in pulling on that thread is that this effort was supported by an economist at the University of Virginia, James McGill Buchanan. Uh, Milton Friedman had written his first case for vouchers in 1955 in the full knowledge of how it would be used in the South. So I started pulling on these, uh, these strings uh, and I just... It troubled me. Like there was something going on here. So I dug in deeper, dug in deeper, and I started studying this man, James Buchanan's thought. And um, lo and behold, when I was really digging in was 2011, just after I'd moved to North Carolina. And I was a, an alumnus of the University of Wisconsin, watching Scott Walker destroy the state of Wisconsin and the radical Tea Party uh, Republicans in North Carolina uh, transformed this once moderate state into a competitor with Mississippi and Alabama in its uh, public policy and voting voting policies. And to make a long story short, after that, I finally got access to an archive of this James Buchanan's papers that revealed him to be the chief thinker behind what the Koch network has done uh, to our democracy. He was a libertarian economist trained at the University of Chicago who, uh, who as a Southerner um, under, who grew up in the Depression, understood you'd never make, you'd never win uh, by making a case for free markets among people who had gone through the Depression and World War II and understood how important government was to their lives. What he did was much more toxic to try to make the case for why you shouldn't trust government um, and why government must be reined in at all levels. Uh, and what I found when I got into his papers was that he was deeply connected to all of these now hundreds of organizations funded by the Koch Donor Network, the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, the Independence Institute, the Federalist Society, we could go on and on and on. Um, so that getting access to that and then watching this um, strategy play out in real time before my eyes in North Carolina and Wisconsin, uh, which I was watching closely, uh, really informed the book that I wrote in uh, Democracy in Chains. And um, basically kind of in a nutshell, what I think uh, people would want to understand is two things. One is Charles Koch and James Buchanan and others who are the key strategists of this effort knew all along, have known at least since the years of Ronald Reagan, that their program is so radical that people would never accept it if they promoted it honestly <laughs> in an unrigged system. So since the 1980s, they have relied on systematic disinformation, working with dirty industries like tobacco and fossil fuels, et cetera, to disinform the public. Uh, and 
And they have also worked in the states that they've gotten control of to, um, to, to rig the rules of democracy. And this came from some advice that James Buchanan offered uh, many times to corporate donors like Charles Koch and to the other people in the causes with which he, he worked. He said, if you don't like the outcome of public policy over a long period of time, you need to stop focusing on who rules and start uh, focusing on the rules and particularly how to change the rules to get what you want. So, you know, in a nutshell, that is what we have seen, especially dramatically since the uh, low turnout midterms of 2010. Um, so we've seen, you know, voter suppression on a scale not seen since the uh disenfranchisement of African-American men at the turn of the century. We've seen the most sophisticated and radical gerrymandering in our political history. We've seen uh, uh, policies and, and legislation to undermine workers' power uh, to exercise collective voice in unions. We've seen changes in how elections are uh, run and counted. We've seen changes in the judiciary. I could go on, but that, that, that in a nutshell is, uh, is the story. Thank you. Well, there's there's such a lot that you have to teach us, particularly how they can sell the idea of, you know, it's a war between democracy and the protection of private property yes. and how they can sell. And they're famous in that conversation with, with Koch brothers and Buchanan saying, we love liberty, we hate equality, right? Yeah. Things like that. So right. it's a very thinly disguised return to the plantation system to a minority rule of we the majority. How are they able to communicate that in such a way as to get a, a, a populist following that's doing yeah. the bidding of the elite? Yeah, it's so uh, such an important question and really important to understand because so many people think this right-wing populism kind of originated with Donald Trump. We have very short memories and we don't know the deep history of all of this, but this right-wing populism has been around. I mean, it was something that, you know, pro-slavery theorists were putting out, you know, in the run-up to the Civil War. And it's long been a part of uh, extreme right-wing, uh, what I think of as property supremacist thought. And actually this James McGill Buchanan uh, that I wrote about in Democracy and Chains, his grandfather was a populist governor <laughs> who turned against the populist party uh, when they did this incredible um, prison release program where they basically took all of these um, uh, incarcerated uh, people who were being leased out to corporations in what was called the convict lease program. And these populists, these white populists helped them, you know, it's largely, but not only African-Americans, but brought them like civilian clothes and everything. So they think it's an amazing story so that they could get away from these corporate prison camps. Um, and his father, who a grandfather, who was the elected official, ended up siding with the coal mines, right, against this insurrection. Um, so, so anyway, so just to say Buchanan had this right-wing populist thought that went way back, but what it did is really um, turn the original real populism on its head. So they talked about, so he talked about um, uh, corporations as being the ones who were exploited, right? Corporations were the victims because in democracy, others were ganging up on them. And he actually referred uh, to the people who looked to government to do tax transfers, regulation, you know, environmental protection, workers' rights, all those things that people on this call support, um, he called those people parasites, right? And so, so the people were now the parasites and the only way to get the parasites um, off the producers who were now the corporations, not the workers and the farmers of the original populace was through this um, radical rules change up to constitutional amendments. So it's really just turning classical populism on, his on its head. And the only way it works is through racial racism, right? So the idea is that is, has always been in this stream of reactionary populism that the takers are somehow people of color who are illegitimate citizens, unlike the imagined, you know, white male uh, Christian citizen who is a deserving claimant on government. So so let's, let's pursue that a bit. Can you connect your, your historical analysis of the anti-democratic radical right to the current moment and the neo-fascist threat posed by the contemporary white nationalist right wing populism? How do they do this? 
Yeah, so that is a really interesting story. And it was not, um, while the Koch network has strategically allied for years now with the religious right, um, because otherwise they don't have enough voters to get to the polls um, and the way that they have uh, justified that and made that work for the so-called libertarians is by doing it all in the name of religious liberty. But basically for them, religious liberty turns it translates into the right to discriminate and they go out seeking cases in order to build these alliances. And of course, religious liberty includes also the right to have uh, tax funds for your Christian schools or your homeschools. You know, there, there are many bennies in this uh, coalition for um, uh, conservative white Christians in particular. But the more recent and kind of terrifying, <laughs> frankly, element has been to see that uh, the forces that came together in the insurrection of January 6th, you see corporate actors now more willing to rely on street actors like the people who stormed the Capitol, um, and particularly those forces like the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and all the MAGA believers who believe the big lie. So I'll just give a little shout out here. I just did a, um, a lecture for the National Humanities Center, it was the week before last on that. It was called um, the prehistory, uh, uh, um, uh, what was it? Um, the prehistory of the January uh, 6th um, insurrection and likely sequels or something, but really kind of um, uh, showing how these forces work together on January 6th and are now still working together in order to, uh, to enable a more successful coup if needed in 2024. And you see that through the efforts to change election law, to elect uh, MAGA people as secretaries of state, um, through a new legal theory that would enable late state legislatures to nullify the votes of their uh, uh, citizens. So really, really uh, disturbing stuff that needs close attention. You pointed out that in, in later years, um, the Koch brothers were funneling money to James Buchanan and one of his assignments, I believe you said, was even to, he had a role in creating the birth of theory on Obama. No, so no, I, I don't know anything about that. No, no, no. That, oh, okay. like, somebody, somebody wrote that for that. Okay. I have no, no evidence for that. Although, well, you know, you... I wouldn't doubt that he believed it, but there's no evidence that he created. And in fact, okay. he died in 2013 before Trump really got going on that. So, okay. um, yeah. What is the, the conversation you think we should be having within the labor and progressive movement about the, the existential crisis that we face about the end of our democracy if this kind of right-wing coup succeeds. What do we need to do that's different yeah. or not well, doing? I think the first thing that we need to do is prevent that white right wing coup okay. <laughs> with really committed organizing uh, at every level, you know, starting yesterday <laughs> and last week. Um, and so, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, and I'll, I'll speak about the midterms because that's in front of us, but I think the, the, the bigger picture is really developing um, collective power again, right? Really rebuilding the power of labor, of community groups, of oversight, of, you know, all of those who could stand in the way of this and help people understand what's happening and why it's happening. Uh, but in the near term too, we have to show the kind of um, uh, urgency that made 2018 an exceptional midterm in American history and uh, 2020 uh, an exceptional election in terms of turnout. So um, you, I'm sure most on this call understand that traditionally the party of the president does poorly in the first midterms because the opponents are motivated and the supporters are cranky um, and you know frustrated about various things. Uh, and so what we need to do between now and November is help people to understand something the mainstream media is doing a terrible job of reporting on, which is what the Biden administration has achieved um, and why they aren't able to to deliver more, which you know, I heard Manchin's name kept come up before, and cinema. And the only thing I would ever quote Joe Manchin on is he said, if you don't like what I'm doing, there's a solution, elect more Democrats, right? So I think, you know, what we have to remember is that in the incredible reforms of radical reconstruction, in the New Deal, and in uh, the peak civil rights era under Lyndon Johnson, those pre there, there were huge congressional majorities to work with, right? So you could lose you know, 10 people, 20 people, you know, eight people in the Senate, you, you could lose a bunch of people and still pass legislation.
inflation, right, of historic proportions. Right now, we don't have that. We have a tight, you know, tight as a whistle house, and we have a Senate where we have two turncoats, basically, uh, who can't be relied on. And But there's a number of Senate races open. So I think that we need to get people really throwing down for uh, mobilizing, for going door to door, for, you know, engaging their, their uh, fellow citizens and showing how much we will lose in the things everyone cares about if they are able to further shackle democracy. You know, democracy is not just some abstract nostalgic thing as broken and as faulty as it is right now. It is the only thing standing between us and corporate ruination of our water and our planet, you know, rampant discrimination. They're about to knock out affirmative action in the Supreme Court, for example, you know, the decimation of workers' rights. They want to privatize Social Security and Medicare. The way we fight back against all that is collective power and using that power at the ballot box. So I think that's what we need to be on top well, of. Nancy, you should know that this audience on this call, uh, that Slogo uh, call, calls together on grassroots election protection, uh, this is where Ray McClendon of the NAACP and Andrea Miller of Center for Common Ground met. And that what they termed the, the Georgia miracle that saved us for a while mm-hmm. has now been reframed into the Georgia way. And they're carrying that throughout the South. We're also about uh, starting a national progressive action coalition to bring together all the right. groups that need to get out of their silos and work so that we can prevent this. So mm-hmm. you're talking to total supporters of that. Um, What parallels do you see between the rise of European fascism in the 30s and the contemporary right wing population populism in the US and globally? That is uh, another uh, uncanny question at this moment, because the first conference I've been able to go to in person uh, was uh, last month, mid-February, at the American Academy of Rome, and the title was um, Political Violence from the uh, Assault on the U.S. Capitol to the March on Rome. And others probably have forgotten this. I had forgotten this, but this is the hundredth year of Mussolini's March on Rome and coming to power in Italy. So this conference was very much addressing connections between what's going on in the U.S. and how you know how to how to understand it in light of that history. So one of the things I uh, brought to it was um, sharing with people that this Coke cause is not simply a U.S. phenomenon. Uh, Charles Coke, I mean, he's a multinational capitalist, right? He operates in 60 countries. I saw somebody in the chat point out that he's still operating in uh, Russia um, as is uh, come forth in, in some news and Jane Mayer, I know, tweeted about it today. Um, so Coke Industries is a multinational corporation and has partnered particularly with fossil fuel um, uh, uh, radical right capitalists like himself and other countries through something called the Atlas Network, uh, which you can look up online. I think I've told so many people now they've taken down the handy map they used to have where you could like click on a country or a region and see all the affiliates. Um, but um, but they're on the way back machine and you could get some sense of it if you go to the Atlas Network uh, website. But uh, what's important about that is in some research I've done since Democracy and Chains, I'm finding significant connections between Atlas Network partners and these right-wing populist efforts that we're seeing in different places. So for example, the Atlas Network partners in the UK really pushed for Brexit uh, and supported Boris Johnson and had traffic back and forth between the US and and uh, and, and England over that. Um, Bolsonaro, significant support of Atlas uh, uh, partners for um, Jair Bolsonaro, another right-wing populist, really you know, even worse than Donald Trump, if such a thing exists uh, in Brazil, um, you know, uh, Canada, you know, the truckers protests, you see connections there. Um, Australia, I could go on and on. But the point is, I think what we're seeing, what we have seen uh, in recent years without quite realizing it is the emergence and development of a right wing playbook in which these highly strategic corporate actors, knowing their agenda is very unpopular um, and and knowing that they can't get it through honestly are relying on the same tools and tactics 
disinformation, dark money in politics, um, using right-wing populism and weaponizing prejudices and nationalism of different sorts to get right-wing voters to the polls, where then they institute an agenda that even those right-wing voters don't want um, and will be hurt by. So it is really, really troubling stuff and makes it all the more important that groups you know, around the country and around the world are engaged in the kind of popular education that you all are doing you know, alongside your uh, organizing efforts. Um, I want to open this up to questions, and I have a number of questions, but I'll just ask one more. So in your book, you name those principal corporate actors that we may or may not know about? Uh, well, I particularly focused on the Koch network because Charles Koch has been, he really has no peer <laughs> on the right for being, first of all, he is deeply ideological, you know, and he was building up this cause in the 1970s, you know, attending tiny seminars of like, you know, a dozen academics and a couple of other, you know, miscellaneous libertarians trying to build up the, the, the intellectual heft, you know, that could drive this and get the ideas that could move the cause. So he he has been singularly committed to libertarian ideology and to building this thing and has also been in a singular position to do it because Coke Industries is a, um, a private corporation. It's not publicly traded. So he has absolute secrecy, not accountable to anyone. And so uses their government and public affairs uh, um, operation as essentially a rival political party. So, so Coke, Coke is um, so far in the vanguard of all of this that it made sense to focus on him. But now that network has over 600 uh, donors who pledge a minimum of $100 million a year. Um, and they include people from many other corporations, again, typically privately held corporations, not publicly traded uh, corporations. So I do think there might be some significant splits among wings of capital uh, now, even as they come together. I saw somebody mention the US Chamber of Commerce, um, they come together on many parts of the policy agenda, particularly the parts against regulation, against workers' rights, and so forth. So that would be uh, $60 billion minimum to work with. Jeez. Not bad, a year. Yeah. Okay, um, let's open it up for some questions now. How much time do you have today, Nancy? I can stay for, yeah, like okay. another half hour or something, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, first, we have Myla. You're up, and then Justin, and then Mary. Oh, Nancy, thank you so much for, um, <clears throat> wait just a second, am I unmuted? Yeah, yeah, yeah we can hear oh, you. Oh, great, okay. Um, Nancy, I'm wondering if you have looked at or can com comment on this uh, ramping up of the culture war against our transgender uh, brothers and sisters. And it, it just seems like it's really got peaking in, a, in an extreme way across yes. the nation right now. Can you? Yeah, that is actually, and uh, it's uh, Myla. Yeah, Myla, um, I'm so glad you drew attention to that because this is absolutely seems to be the strategy of the Republican Party um, going into the 22 midterms. But a lot of this hysteria was started by organizations funded by the Koch Network, uh, particularly that against so-called critical race theory um, and against any efforts to teach diversity, equity, and inclusion. So again, you have the donor money that funds something but then you have Fox News, you know, in the right wing uh, media ecosystem pumping out, you know, uh, inflammatory lies and, and uh, uh, making people feel threatened. Um, and they also have linked that to uh, masking policies in schools and other COVID restrictions. So that's, you know, how they, I think, also got energy um, that we're seeing at school boards around the country. I mean, Virginia was a big example when, uh, you know, um, uh, young was running um, and we're seeing it elsewhere around the country. Uh, so that is such, it's so disturbing. I mean, they're attacking school boards, teachers, and also students, you know, by name and in very personal ways. So uh, one effort that I know that is uh, challenging that and pushing back on it is called Learn From History. And I would highly recommend going to their website, learnfromhistory.org. And it brings together uh, parents and students in these uh, embattled communities with all the major historical associations in the United States. And they have downloadable resources 
for students, parents, teachers, others who are, are fighting this stuff. And I mean, the good news, at least on the critical race theory, um, uh, is that people want honest history for their kids. Kids want honest history. I think the poll numbers are stunning. It's, you know, in the 80s and 90%, depending on, you know, which poll and how it's phrased and where. But, um, but we absolutely must pay attention to them. And I will say, uh, I have heard from uh, teachers and others uh, up against this, that the Democratic parties in their local communities have not been helpful on this, that they've been kind of hiding out, you know, and not uh, not coming to the defense of, you know, honest teaching and, and committed teachers. So it's really important that others do, because in some places like Wisconsin, you know, I was talking to teachers who face a, a $10,000 fine and loss of license for teaching something like slaveholders had a major impact on the U.S. Constitution, you know, which is totally accepted, you know, in, in history. But to say that, you know, might run afoul of these laws. Oh, I see a bunch of hands. So I will be more concise in my answers. Thank you, Myla. Justin, you're up. Oop. A uh, specific area where this uh, leaches into is in a lot of these Midwest states that are passing these laws against critical race theory teaching, they're also passing laws saying 14 year olds can start working more and more and more and more hours. Uh, basically it's a, all of this in the end is down to corporations wanting to use people as wage slaves. And uh, I think you, you're on the right track, Nancy, of. Uh, most people really resonate with a single bogeyman. So James Buchanan for the Koch brothers is a good one. Uh, following up with uh, guys like Robert Mercer, uh, mm -hmm. who was behind Steve Bannon, who was behind the Breitbart network, which is behind a lot of this kind of uh, pseudo populist messaging that's really just uh, subversion messaging and flooding the zone is what uh, Steve Bannon uses as his term for all of that. Uh, so these things are uh, really important to get people to realize what uh, Tatanka uh, talked with Andrea Miller of the Georgia Way about, and that is, in the end, politics is a transaction. You don't have to be married to your party. You just have to realize which one is better for your pocketbook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, really important for people to understand that um, for the libertarians, at least the Koch network types, um, this is not about liberty as you and I understand it. You know, this is not about freedom from domination by your boss, right? Or about the freedom to demand racial equality or the freedom to organize. No, this is about economic freedom. And so what you pointed out with these states that are actually trying to get rid of prohibitions on child labor um, while they're doing all these other things, it actually really fits with this model once you, once you understand the model. So um, I did see that somebody else also uh, in the chat recommended a book that I just finished reading last night that's really uh, excellent on what's going on at the state level, um, Laboratories of Autocracy. I would highly recommend that. It's by someone who's been deeply active in Ohio. He also has a PowerPoint uh, show that he takes on the road to any audience who, who wants to hear it, I've heard. Um, so uh, highly recommend it because he really has seen it up close. He analyzes it very well. Um, and he also identifies ways to fight it. Um, so uh, yeah, the state stuff is all important. Thank you, Nancy. That's a good suggestion. Uh, while Mary's getting online, do we have a list of those 600? That, uh, no, not that really. Sourcewatch Source Watch has um, lists of the uh, some lists of the Coke seminar attendees. Yeah. So you could look to mm -hmm. Sourcewatch for that. And there are some others who are like trying to track um, the uh, corporate affiliations and the investments of those uh, those people, but I have not heard an update on those. Efforts. Okay, thanks. Mary, you're up. Hello. Hello. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to, you know, I, I've been researching a lot that you've been researching too, but not just the Koch brothers, but Hershey's, Koch brothers, and quite a few others that are out there. And um, I was just going to, uh, number one, say that uh, it'd be neat if you did like me, if you research just a little further, you'll see that it all goes back to 1885, I think it is, when uh, the, the Gridiron Club came about 
of the elitist millionaires and media folk that we had in the United States. There's a book called uh, The President Spe Speaks Off Record. And it's a book put out by the Gridiron Club of Washington, D.C. And that would enlighten everybody in this group on what's been going on for the last, whatever, years, hundred and something years, because there, there's more to it. The Koch brothers is just one finger or maybe the palm of fingers of a hand that's coming down on America. Mm -hmm. And we got we to gotta pay attention to all the appendages. But I absolutely think, yeah, it's it's Coke Plus. You know, there are other actors out there. Um, I will say, though, that I'm a little bit leery of any attempt to track it to just one, you know, the gridiron in 1885. You know, this is so deep and has, has so many uh, different roots and tentacles now. And I think what's important, and I, I do know this from people who work on these issues and have polled them and focus grouped them. Most people, sadly, even at this point, don't care about the Koch brothers, you know, like they're not interested in, um, you know, all of the kinds of connections that we know we need to understand to get this stuff. But what we really need to convey is what the policies these folks are instituting mean for their lives, right? So that people need to know, you know, this is kitchen table, right? These are the people who are driving down your wages. These are people who are making it so you can't afford health care and won't let us get better health care. You know, they tried to repeal Obamacare, right? I mean, they didn't even want it to happen. They tried to stop Medicaid expansion. You know, these are the people who are trying to starve and then privatize our schools. These are, you know, the people who are polluting our water, you know, fracking and stopping action on the climate catastrophe that's already affecting us around the country, you know, with extreme weather. So that I think is really crucial. Like when we're doing, you know, talking to neighbors and voters and others, the policy impact on people's lives is, is what's really going to grab their attention, I think. Thank yes. you. Uh, I want to talk. I, I need to jump in real quick. We're about to um, go over our hour. I want to say everybody who's been listening on the uh, Progressive Radio Network, thanks for joining us. If you want to see the rest of this, go to our website, uh, grassrootsep.org or electionprotection2024.org. Um, <clears throat> thank you for being with us. We have after... <laughs> All this time we have still 81 people with us. Nancy, please do stick with us. I want to throw in four small historical things. Number one, I love irony. Uh, James Buchanan uh, was our first gay president. Uh, he was the president prior to uh, Lincoln. Uh, not, not really well that, all that well closeted. It's pretty well known that he was gay. And uh, of course, he was a miserable president, so the gays don't want to claim him. And the, uh, the non-gays don't want to admit that we had a gay president, but that was James Buchanan. The term populism was, the original populists were very progressive. There mm -hmm. was a progressive party, uh, the People's Party. And after the election of 1896, uh, which I've written a book about, they, uh, the progressives, some of the progressives turned into fascists. But the term progressive, it always kills me when they use the term progressive to describe right-wingers, because it was originally a very left-wing, very pro-feminist movement that did a lot to change America for the better, and they got screwed by the Democratic Party. Uh, corporate personhood first turns up at the Supreme Court in the Santa Clara decision, which was in the 1880s. And uh, legally, that's the root of it, very dubious. There was a clerk of the court who had been a, ra a railroad pr uh, president, and he claimed in his log of the discussions that the justices referred to corporate personhood, but it's really not clear. And he may have made up the whole thing, but there was no legal basis in, the, in any Supreme Court decision until uh, um, uh, the uh, Citizens United decision for corporate personhood. That's where it finally came from. And finally, uh, if you guys want to read all the stuff that the right-wingers hate, uh, my new book, A People's Spiral of U.S. History, I will just coming out this week, and I will send you a PDF, and uh, it's guaranteed to uh, cause nervous breakdowns among any right-wingers. As, as a shameless well. plug, it's a great read. Yes, <laughs> thank you very much. So yep. I appreciate that. But Nancy, you're wonderful. Uh, again, my PRN listeners, uh, join us uh, for the full boat here on, on the website, and uh, 
Tatanka, you're a masterful um, uh, moderator. So Nancy, please continue. This is a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay. and I also I want to apologize to you all. Somehow I had it in my head and my calendar that it was 5.15 to 6.15, not 5 to 6. So that's how I got on late. But here I am. Okay. <laughs> so we, we've had three questions. we got at least six more to go. So okay. let's, uh, for the questioners, make the question as quick as you can so we can get everybody in. Jeffrey, and then Lynn, then Danette, and then William Fleming, then Leslie, then Wendy. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Nicole said you're an expert at Follow the Money. Is that true? Uh, I'm actually an expert on follow the ideas. You know, Jane Mayer, I think in her book, Dark Money, did a, a stupendous job of following the money. Uh, and there are other people who, like Judd Legum, who I put in the um, chat, who has tracked the, the giving to the Sedition Caucus uh, in Congress and shows that many of the corporations who said they weren't going to give are giving again or never stopped. So there are people who do that. I'm a historian by training. And so I do archival research. And what I was able to do through that was pull up this thread that nobody, frankly, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but that nobody else had in terms of what are the ideas that are informing the strategy that is, you know, wreaking such havoc uh, in our public life. So that that's my, my um, contribution. Thank you, Jeffrey. Lynn Feinerman. Yes, thank you. Hello, Nancy McLean. Um, thank you for being with us. Uh, I would like to ask if you have um, researched or uncovered any um, dark money connections to the kinds of militia, you know, the sort of standby mm -hmm. syndrome that uh, is in a lot of articles, but we seem to be overlooking. In other words, people who are organizing to be at polling places and right. to be armed and et cetera. Thank right. you. Yeah, um, that is really important. I would say on the particular groups, I have not seen like the Coke network supporting financially uh, any of these kind of, you know, street militia, fascistic um, style actors. Um, you can check uh, Source Watch is always a good uh, first stop for finding out who funds whom. Um, uh, but I think, you know, it's, I'm sure there is some significant like millionaire money there, but I don't think it's the multi-billionaires like Coke, who's worth 55 uh, billion. It's just kind of too, too dirty for them to do that kind of thing. But what I would say is that a lot of what's enabling this is legislation that's gone through, uh, that's promoted by ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And they have been pushing legislation that in various ways is property supremacist and encourages vigilantism. So for example, it was ALEC that pushed the stand your ground law that enabled George Zimmerman to get off after murdering Trayvon Martin. Um, it was ALEC that passed, that that you know got its legislative Republican um, legislative members to introduce um, these critical, um, what do they call them, critical infrastructure bills, which essentially outlaw protest at, um, um, uh, you know, particularly at like Standing Rock, you know, at, at um, uh, pipeline sites and things like that. It was ALEC that introduced the legislation that lets uh, drivers um, drive into protests, you know, and, and not be liable for that. And it's ALEC that is driving many of these uh, critical race theory bills that are also doing things like encouraging the uh, monitoring of teachers. So, you know, so this cause is very much behind a kind of um, legal enablement, you could say, of vigilantism while not actually funding the street fighters. Thank you. So that's the reason for a national progressive action coalition to have a progressive ALEC. We got to get our act together and act as one. Okay, uh, Danette. Yeah, thank you. Um, lest we forget um, the um, bill in Texas, SB8, which bans abortions after six weeks. We know a lot of dark money's flowing into keep that. But there, uh, there was a challenge to that. It got shot down, unfortunately. So it's still in place. How do we fight? Because that is also uh, repressing women of color, uh, lower income people from being able to get a good job, get a good education, um, on and on. They've been doing this for decades. How do we fight that too? 
Yeah, that is uh, crucial and is another example, actually, of the um, licensing vigilantism. So by setting up this system of effectively bounty hunters, right, that you would be rewarded for turning in a woman or turning in a doctor, they're very much like the the bounty hunters um, uh, licensed by slaveholders, right, again, you know, to, to um, bring back uh, it, enslaved people who had fled uh, slavery in the uh, run up to the Civil War. So yeah, it is really ugly stuff. And it is absolutely a product of the alliance between these malevolent corporate actors, uh, donors and the religious right. And so each one of them, you know, each party to this alliance gets something they want. And that is one thing I've learned from these, these people is to always think about what are the incentives, right? And so the incentives for the corporate donors is that the religious right will turn out the voters who want to see these things. Um, and the incentives for the religious right is that the corporate donors will get them <laughs> this legislation and will send money to their schools and will enable them to discriminate and do all the things that they want to do. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It's critically important. Uh, and, you know, the Supreme Court, um, you know, I think they're, they've effectively ended Roe by already sending it back to the states. So I think, you know, we just have to keep building from the grassroots up and showing people as people did uh, in the run up to Wade, what it means to criminalize abortion, right? You know, that's why we're, it's so important to get Contangio, uh, he's mispronounced her name, um, into, onto the Supreme Court along the oh, way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's so important across all, all issues. Mm -hmm. thank, thank you. you for thank you for that question and i can't remember the two books that i read but we should all know the history of the origin of u.s police forces came right out of that slave trade vigilantism it's, there's a lot of this was there an adam was there an eve or did we evolve from what we conceived either way we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.